Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. We're live now? Yeah. Wait, like right now? <laughs> Fuck, I hate Is that... so much. Are we doing this? Nobody said that we were doing this. Yeah, we're doing it. We're doing oh, it live. man, this is so awkward. And we've got the, uh, I was going to call it the fancy screen, but the two-person one is actually the fancy screen, so we've got the other screen here, because we have three people, and Todd's <laughs> back. He's here. He made it. Uh, they finally let me out from under the staircase. <laughs> Some, so the, the third comment in the chat is, let me guess, no Pat. Because <laughs> they're in audio only, so they can't, they can't see you. No, I, I was trying to think the other day, like how long has it been since I've been on the show? I'm pretty sure it was December, December. or January. Yeah, this is the first show of 2022, and we're almost out of 2022. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been a been a really long time, man. Really long time. Yeah, but wow. uh, it's fun What's to be with back. That hipster ass beanie you're wearing. It's cold. Johnny Tsunami over here, dude. You can't. I don't know. Who, who is that? It's cold. I think it's been on a slider open to let some fresh air. It's a little chilly. Dave just asked Jim. if you just got out of the shower, Steve. Which we've yeah. Already, we've, we've already discussed. Literally, I did. I you should have seen him had when he came great, onto the great call. great grandfather's tank top. Yeah. <laughs> Pat, uh, somebody has a question for you. They said, is your new GM job at the Ducks the reason you haven't been on the pod? Well, yeah, well absolutely. I mean... Uh, <laughs> We've been trying to restructure this whole team for the last ten months. I mean, look where we've gotten us. Right. Did you meet uh, Pat Verbeek at Starbucks too? No, he's he's more of a coffee bean guy. He doesn't really go and do Starbucks. You see he likes he likes he likes coffee on a more decent side of things rather than. I mean, Starbucks sucks. Yeah, only Bobby goes to Starbucks. Yeah, Bobby goes there because Bobby gets. He was probably getting some uh, hangovers. Had to get some coffee for the morning. Um, but we were talking pre-show. About uh, the certain player on the Ducks that um, isn't doing so well, but Stephen has uh, some things to say right about it. It's, no, yeah, no, I would, no. I would really, really love to hop into yeah. 
John Gibson talk right away because I think we could, that's that to me could be a really good place to start considering we have a lot of losses to talk about, right? Over the last few weeks, I mean, some wins we pulled out, obviously, but uh, overall as a team, I think there's one of the glaring issues is in net, and I think that that's being undermined by a lot of people, and I think that uh, Steven is one of those people that's really kind of looking past. Uh, I don't know. John Gibson's been less than mediocre. And I'm not saying he's had all the help in the world because, I mean, Lord knows he hasn't. His team hasn't been very good at all. But, I mean, you can't say that John Gibson is playing off, you know, is going off this season and just getting unlucky. He's, he's He hasn't looked good at all. Yeah, no, I like this. This is my thing. I agree that he has not played well to this point. He's had flashes here and there. He's had runs of really good play overall he's been below average but the problem for me is he has no margin of error i was looking it up because i knew we were gonna well because once we said we were gonna argue about this i decided to look at the numbers and of goalies this season who have played over 100 minutes at 5v5 you're never gonna believe this uh john gibson has faced the most high-danger shots against by 30. Mm -hmm. He has more high-danger saves than anybody else has high-danger shots against. Sure. So my question still is, though, what's why go for why go to, to go to bat for him there? I mean, I, I because just, I just... think to I think to reduce it to he's bad now. Is disingenuous. Oh, he's not bad now. He, I just don't think he's ever rebounded from his best season and, and back into that form. But this entire team kind of hasn't done that. Yeah, no, I think it's more than fair to like, you know, uh, at the very least be like nervous, right? Because I think we talked about this a little bit coming into the season is like he's had three good years and three bad years. And this is kind of the one where like, all right, man, you got to pick one. Which are you now? The problem with that is, is there's literally not a defenseman on the team who can play defense. Well, that I'll give you. You and I have talked about that on, on Twitter. There is times. It's, no, defenseman no defenseman on this team. On this team. It is like no. Ed, Ed said, coming into the season, it is all gas, no breaks. And I get that. But this team doesn't have the total or, or, or it doesn't have the necessary talent yet to make that a viable plan. It, they, they just don't have the ability to play a barn-burning style with four lines. They have a couple of really good players and a couple of guys who are doing okay. But and, that's then, and then, like, Simon Benoit is our best defensive defenseman at this point. And, like, that just isn't enough. That's not good enough. Now, to the extent that this is you know, really the first hard, hard in year of rebuild. I'm fine with it, but I just feel like there is something that has been lost in the conversation about John Gibson. That is this team isn't good. Like this team is not good. And if he's not great, they're screwed. And I get that. But I also think it's unfair to say, he's the reason that they're bad. And I'm not necessarily saying that's what you said, but it does feel like there have been people who have made comments along the lines of John Gibson sucks. And that's why this team is struggling. It's like, no, 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 the team sucks, which is why John Gibson is struggling. And 
John Gibson is now coming off of his third year of putting in an incredible amount of effort early in the season to see it all fucking go up. Yeah, but you can't you can't say that he's the sole reason why. Anyone who's anyone listening who thinks that is is just completely out of bounds with that. Considering, I mean, how many games night and night are we giving up thirty plus shots on goal? Right. That's mm-hmm. that's that's a start there. How how often has this penalty kill been good? Never and not been not been great at all. Um, there's just a, and like you mentioned, high danger chances. I mean, if you want to just get away from the inside stats, you can just look at the ones we've always looked at. Like I just said, you can look at the PK, look at the shots on goal. I mean, Gibson's not be given not been given a fair. Um, a fair chance this season for sure, but I think at the same time he's looked very mediocre at best. Very I, mediocre. He's never looked in control in a game. Yeah, that's I, where he's he, able to come in and step in. Yeah, Eddie, go ahead. Give yeah, me, me. I, I, I think the thing with John Gibson, right, is we know he has that in his locker or in his skill set that he can pull out the ridiculous game-breaking saves, and that's something he's never really lost over the last couple of years. The struggles have been there. But we'll get a few of those games where he'll just make an unbelievable save. Or he'll just be on for either the entire game or for 40 minutes. And he'll keep the Ducks in it despite the shots being 45 to 20. And we've seen a couple of games like that. But there have been a lot of goals that he's let in where you sit back and look at the replay. And you're like, damn, man, he should have had that one. And we're starting to see that more. Yeah, he can still pull out the saves, and that's why, Stephen, when you say, you know, when you sit here and say he's made more high danger saves than other goaltenders have faced high danger shots against, I think is what you you had said. Mm-hmm. I'm not surprised because we've seen that from John Gibson over the years, and the Ducks are a team that's going to hemorrhage a lot of high danger shot uh, chances against. So we're going to see a lot of them. John Gibson has that ability to make those ridiculous saves. The problem is. When he's supposed to make an easy save, it hasn't been there this year. And then, like we've talked about already, the team in front of okay, him is well, not good. Well, let's let's uh, okay. Let's. I think it's it's. He has let in some real stinkers this year. I'm not going to argue that point, but I don't think he's not making saves. Right? It's not that he's letting in every easy goal. No. It's just it feels like when he does let in those weird stinker goals where you're like, yeah, you got to have that. It's, it's at inopportune times and it can be a bit of a backbreaker, but like, okay, as in per 60, he faces 13.4 high danger shots against per 60. That's first. Second is Stolarz at 12.4. Like they're also the only two guys with more than 11 high-danger saves per 60. Nobody else has over 10. Simeon yeah, Verlomov we, is at we, 10. We're in agreement with you on that. They're, they that are facing is, the most, but, but I just, they're still not playing well. No, I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't disagree, but I just think the way that the conversation about the, around them has been framed yeah. has been very frustrating for me. Because, again, I'm, I'm not trying to sweep under the rug or excuse completely that they haven't been at their best this year. They very much haven't, but they're not getting any support. Like if you watch all of the goals from the first sharks game, he doesn't see most of those, like four of those. There are three guys in front of him. Like, I don't know what he's supposed to do. If the defense, like the defenseman can't move guys out of the way. Cam Fowler has never been that guy. John Klingberg has never really been that guy. Simon Benoit's trying. Dmitry Kulikov's trying a little bit. Bolyu's game, but he's, you know, 
He's a seventh defenseman at best. He doesn't have anybody making his life easier. And that, excuse me, that's the thing for me that's very frustrating. No, it seems very soft all around him and in every aspect of that word. Yeah. I, I, I think you're right in the sense if anybody's going to sit here and say, well, if somebody other than John Gibson was in that, the Ducks would be better. I think that's wrong. Even if you say Stolarz. And I think Stolarz has done, I think the two games he played this week, despite allowing a lot of goals, he kept the Ducks in it for those ones. He's faced 96 shots, I think, across the two Sharks games. Um, I think if you're going to sit here, if anybody's going to sit here and say, if you plug another goaltender in here, the Ducks win a lot more games, that's not going to happen. Because the Ducks right. are playing awful in front of them. So if you're trying to make that argument, I don't think it's it's correct. I think both can coexist. coexist. The Ducks suck, and they hemorrhage a lot of high-danger chances against, and they don't give any support to the two goaltenders they have in front of them. And the goaltenders themselves haven't been as good as they have in the past and as good as we know they can be. And they both kind of just exist together because the goaltenders struggle to get enough consistency and confidence to be better because the team in front of them isn't good enough to give them that structure, right? So unless one is fixed, you can't really have the other. So unless the team plays better defensively in front of the goaltenders, it's hard for them to consistently be better. And unless the you know Gibson or Stolarz are standing on their head, it's impossible for this team to play better. So they're just gonna they're they're really stuck in this loop, and and it does start though with the team getting better in front of the netminders because like we said, you can plug anybody in here and they're gonna struggle. So it it's not on John Gibson to play better right now. It's not on Anthony Stolarz to play better. The only remedy for this team to get better and and for the goaltenders to have a better chance is the team to be better defensively in front of them. And unfortunately, I don't think that's I don't think that's possible just with the personnel we have. Really, the defense core can only get worse from here as we get mm-hmm. further on in the season and guys like Shattenkirk and Klingberg could eventually go out the door and we're stuck, you know, playing... Col- I mean, and I think White's looked good, but you're stuck having White come in and then you get shifted up the lineup and all of a sudden this blue line gets a, a lot scarier. Somehow more suspect, which is an incredible statement. Yeah. It's every, every, every night. Every night you watch this team, it's 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 really it's really baffling. Yeah, really baffling. Guys are missing easy assignments. I mean, real easy assignments. Just playing in front in front of the net. I mean, what was it the Reinhardt goal last night? Oh God! They just uh, nobody followed him. Nobody was on him. Everybody was standing on the side of the net. That's a guy who has zero goals to to that point in the season too, right? Like, of course. Of course, it, it it always seems to happen. Um, so so, what's the answer? Do we we do we ask the same question we've been asking since twenty eighteen? Do we trade John Gibson at the deadline? I mean, that's you, he's got he's got four years left after this year. He's a UFA in twenty seven twenty eight. And I think that is fundamentally the weird thing. Is Pat Verbeek has come in with a willingness to make these kinds of moves, but he's done it at a point when all of the assets that he has are severely distressed. Like, there was an argument to be made to moving John Gibson, and a lot of guys would have, like, a lot of teams would have wanted him two, three years ago, even early last season. I think you absolutely could have probably moved him for a pretty decent return. Yeah, his stock's pretty low now. 
it, it, there's and, and for four years at almost six and a half million, like I, that's a lot of money, man. Like I just I don't know who wants to take that money on. And I think if Anaheim is willing to retain, maybe the conversation changes a little bit if they can drop it down to four, four and a half. And I think he has earned the right uh, based on his play and, and you know how, how how much he's meant to this franchise over the last few years. I, I think there's certainly an argument to be made that like he's earned the right for them to pay him to not be on the team. Um, but I don't know who's going to take him. You know, I mean, yeah, it's it's a tough like, sell right now. And you know, you've got Connor Hellebuck, who's a UFA, not this summer, but next summer. Like he's the guy. I think I'm waiting to see if he gets moved. There'll be cheaper options. Like, um, could I see like the, if the Devils right now Blackwood is out for a while. Vanacek, what she's done so far, takes the starting job. Do the Devils look at trading Mackenzie Blackwood? And that's a lot cheaper than going off and getting John Gibson. Uh, at the end of the day, it just depends on the goaltending market, right? Who else is available? What the price is on on them? And what the difference in that price is compared to what the Ducks are going to want for John Gibson. Because they're not going to reduce the price. If they're going to move this guy because of the term he has left and the track record he has, they're going to, they're only going to move him if they get an offer they like because they don't have to move him. So it makes it extremely difficult for them to do so because of that because they're not going to sell low on him. And then a team has to be able to afford to bring him in and be desperate enough to pay what the Ducks are asking. Maybe you look at a team like Toronto down the road. We've talked about them endlessly over the years as a team that could be interested in John Gibson, but they're waiting for Matt Murray to come back from injury. Sam Samov just or Samsonov just went down with injury. Beyond those two, they have absolutely nothing. So if you come to trade deadline and both of them haven't panned out or injuries are still a problem, maybe a team gets desperate enough to pay that, but it, it has to be a team with the expectations that a team like Toronto has, that you have to win. And you need to bring a guy in that's a significant upgrade on what you have. And that John Gibson is that over what Matt Murray would be at that point and what Samsonov would be at that point if you're desperate enough. But there's not going to be many teams, I think, that are, are going to be willing to do that. No, and I, and I highly doubt that they do anything of the sort of retaining salary. I mean, this team didn't want to sign players that on defense that they could have kept around just because they didn't want the term. They didn't want to, they didn't be paying the money. They're not going to do it. I mean, Stolarz also only has this season left. He's a UFA next year. So that's also something for the Ducks to look at, right? They're going to fall back on Dostal and Stolarz if they move Gibson. He's not moving. I'm just thinking. I like, think it's more likely Stolarz might get moved <clears throat> because of that, because he's UFA next Maybe. year. Maybe. I, I still don't understand how he's not on Edmonton right now. <laughs> I'm not being funny. Like, I genuinely don't understand before signing fucking Jack Campbell of 5 by 5 how you don't at least see that Stolarz played pretty well last year and go, at the very least, we have a good option here. Like, how is he not a better option than Simsonov? No, that's true. Like, I just, it, it really did surprise me that he, still, he was still on this team when we got to the season. Pat, let me ask you this. I, I think you're probably right in so much as it's, it's very hard to see a situation in which moving John Gibson becomes tenable. But from Anaheim's perspective, how much longer can this go on? Truthfully, they'll ride. They'll ride the contract while they rebuild. They they don't have to move him. One, but he's I'm, got a modified no trade clause, so he could demand a trade at some point. I mean, he's been a consistent loser with this team, and not him personally. Just they've been yeah. losers since what twenty sixteen. 
was their last big run? Uh, twenty seventeen was their last run. The last, yeah, the, oh, was that their last play? Uh, was that their last playoff year? Uh, no, the next year, San Jose was the next year they got smoked by San Jose. Yeah. 2017 is bad. when they went to the Western Conference Finals against uh, that's, Nashville, yeah, that's right. which fucked up. That was the best team of that whole run. Uh, if you look at some of the underlying numbers, I think if they would have beat the, if they beat the Blackhawks the year before though, that was, that was their yeah. cup. That was for sure their cup. But anyway, yeah, they, I don't think they're, I don't think the Ducks management has going to have a problem riding him out unless he asks to be moved. They're comfortable but, with him there. I think that's my question, right? Is like just at what point does just from just a like a chemistry locker room mental kind of space, like at what point does it become he can't be here and we can't keep him here? Like he needs like they're not going to buy him out. He's only a year younger than than Cam Fowler. Fowler's thirty, Gibby's twenty nine, and they both have. Or Gibby's got one more year in his contract. And he and Fowler essentially make the same amount of money. I'm yep. surprised they're both on this team, but I, I don't see them trading either one of those I, guys. I always, they like I always wonder how, maybe how much it's overblown by the media and by fans, the attitude problems with John Gibson or just the reactions to goals. I, I mean, does that oh, actually yeah. extend anywhere beyond the ice into the locker room, that frustration? Because we've seen it been brought up i think eric stevens has written a few things on it at some point and we uh, i think we've gotten a few quotes in the past about him potentially having a problem with the duck's success and wanting to get out of there and then i, I mean he's not going to say anything different but we hear in the summer from him and his agent that that's not the case and they're not asking for a trade and he wants to stay in anaheim i just wonder at, at some point like does that even exist like yeah this guy looks visibly disappointed when a, when a puck goes in the back of, the <clears throat> of course like and and it sucks having to drag through that as a as a netminder and lose almost every game over the last four seasons, but potentially him and the Ducks see the light at the end of the tunnel in the next couple of years. That the best shot they have of winning with this young core is having John Gibson around. And if they're not going to get what they would want for him, if he's fine sticking around, and a lot of that is overblown with you know his attitude problems, you want to call it that, or his uh, reactions to the Ducks losing then maybe mm-hmm. he just sticks around, right? Like, we don't really know how much of that is true or not. And if none of it's true, then presumably he could be here through the full length of his contract unless somebody comes in and just blows you know, the doors off with an offer that the Ducks just can't refuse. Which I can't see happening. No one no one yeah. wants to help the Ducks out here in this situation. They know that they this this team's management before Verbeek waited way too long to sell on assets. If they would have sold all the guys they got rid of two seasons prior... They're sitting much prettier, in my opinion. And yeah. Gibson was one of those pieces too. Yeah, and and you know, I don't, I don't think for me personally, I don't think of it as an attitude problem. Like I, I can certainly see the argument that he should try to keep his composure a little bit better, and he can be very visibly frustrated with certain goals and with, you know, when there are significant breakdowns in front of him. But like at the well, same when time, people run into him all season. This this yeah. team does nothing to protect their goalie. Yeah, and so I think for me, it's like I have no problem with him getting frustrated. He's a competitor. Like, we've seen him have that fire, like, throughout his entire career, getting, you know, starting scrums, leveling guys, like, just getting into shit. I think for me, it's just more about, like, at what point does everybody just get kind of worn out by this situation? But, I I mean, it feels to me like it's Corey Schneider and 
uh, in New Jersey, where it's just like, oh, we got this guy. He's really good, and we're paying him to be really good. And now we suck, and we've ruined him. <laughs> because Corey Schneider right. was good for, what, one and a half, two maybe seasons when he got to double? Like, he was really good in Jersey really early. Mm-hmm. And the wheels just fell all the way off the wagon. And then injuries got to him, and, you know. But I, I think a lot of it just had to do with the team in front of him fucking fell apart. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 been pretty bad. I just I can't see the Ducks swimming their way out of this one and getting anything for them. It's <laughs> uh, can we talk about uh, like this week in general? These three games, right? I mean, they let in eighteen goals this week between the three games. Six Jeez. five was it eighteen six five eight five? That game was atrocious. The game against the Canucks, yeah. um, and then even the in uh, their two their two wins against the Sharks. <laughs> just, like those games were pretty bad. Um, yeah, Brandon fun. went to a Dutch oh, love, points love on us. Back and forth. Uh, in, uh, oh, last yeah, night. That was fun yeah. Too. <laughs> yeah, that was. It, it looked like the game was going to be really fun at one point when they tied it up two two, and then I'm like, oh yeah, they're playing Florida. This is going to be a long third period. <laughs> yeah, and in both yeah. that game, both losses, that game and the Vancouver game, they were close heading into the third period, and the wheels just fell off. Uh, the Vancouver game, it felt like. It was that um, controversial, if you want to call it, the the interference call that didn't end up happening, that led to Jesus yeah, Christ. The go the I think it was four two goal for Vancouver, and then they scored on the power play after the challenge to make it five two, mm-hmm. and then the air just kind of went out of the tires at that point, and then yeah. last night it was the that Reinhardt goal. <laughs> Where it just kind of immediately sapped the energy out of out of the game for them in the third period, where they just kind of didn't have enough to get back into it. And Vancouver, better team, arguably. Florida, definitely a better team. They just turned, you know, turned it up a dial in the third period and took over the game. They're like, okay, we're a little too close here to a team we should be beating. Um, and then, yeah, the, the Sharks are in the same spot. The Sharks are not a good team, and we took them to the wire in both games. Right and and in, in both games, Anthony Stolarz was unbelievable. Otherwise, the Ducks are walking out of this week with four straight losses. No, it's true. It's very true because they couldn't keep the puck out of their own net against the the Sharks teams, which is pretty bad. Although Eric yeah, Carlson's get... looked pretty good this season. Yeah, jeez, pretty good. Yeah, that's one way to say it. <laughs> that's pretty good. I I will and I will say I am enjoying watching him blow up this year after all the Sharks fans have just decided to be mad at him like it's his fault their team sucks. Oh, it's his fault they traded away uh, Britt Burns, right? <sighs> Funny when when Brett Burns leaves, then you he becomes the sole kind of puck moving puck distributor from that blue line, and he gets a little bit yeah. closer back to his his old self. As much as everyone hates him, like I know people don't like him, but as much as Everyone hates to admit this too. Had he found a way, or had Vegas found a way to get him the year they went to the cup, they win that cup. <laughs> He's that possibly. good, Eric Carlson. Oh yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. And people just forget because he had his, he had some serious injuries. Yeah, yeah I mean, was wasn't it his ankle? Is it his ankle or his Achilles? Achilles? Yeah, yeah, his skate went down. Which he got, he got stepped on. Yeah. <clears throat> Which, he didn't get he didn't get Kessler from Prongard, but you know. He did go. He was like going into like uh, into the inboards with someone right behind him, and they were stopping. And he, yeah. the guy skated right into his Achilles. Yeah, that, and then coming back from that, and having to work back from that, and just getting older as you're working through that. The skating for him was just never the same. And then he goes to a team where he's under Brent Burns, and he can't mm-hmm. be the guy anymore. And he's not the guy. He has to share that kind of spotlight. 
I think he thrives in a scenario where he is the guy who plays 26, 27 minutes a night in all offensive scenarios, and that's what he's done for the Sharks this year. I know a lot of those points have come over like a five-game stretch, but still, like he's looked he's looked unbelievable all season. And the fact that I think a couple of days ago he was second in the league in goals and I think third in points. Like that's that's the Eric Carlson goals. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's that's the Eric Carlson you expected when he was with the Sens. And uh, so. Speaking of defensemen, though, what do you guys think of John Klingberg this season? Underwhelming? No. I think you've gotten what you expect from John Klingberg. Um, he leads all defensemen in points. He's got seven assists in, in 13 games. It's not awful when he's on the power play. I think he's a difference maker for this team. Defensively, he has a lot of issues, and he's shown that, and we knew that coming into the season. So I, I think we've gotten what the average of what you would have expected from John Klingberg. We've had a few, yeah, a few good moments, a few not so great moments, and no, I'm just saying, like I, I just, you know, I just haven't really noticed him as being anybody that's kind of really stood out on the team. Just quietly has done his job. He hasn't really looked great inside the blue line. Um, obviously, putting up the, you know, the little bit of points. He's on a really bad team. I guess I just expected him when he signed the contract to, I don't know, but have a little bit more, a little, a little stand out a little more than he has. Yeah, I, I think, I, I, I honestly, I think you're both right in a lot of ways. I do think he hasn't been as, like, obviously and noticeably effective as maybe you would hope when you sign a guy to a $7 million contract. Yeah. But to Eddie's point, he has managed to be productive. He has managed to, you know, eat minutes. He's playing on the power play and things like that. And, like, the power play is not necessarily the most successful, but I'm hardly going to say that that's John Klingberg's fault. There's five guys out there, and none of them seem to know what they're doing right now. Um, you know, I, I think it's a weird situation. I, I think if this is kind of still the Klingberg that we're getting December, early December, then I might be a little bit more concerned. But I think for now – he looks like a guy who's in a new place for the first time in his career, and that place isn't very good. And uh, he's he's trying to kind of find his footing and figure out where he fits in with the team. I mean, I know we're kind of just kind of glossing over these games, not digging into them a bit. There's really no need to. But just on a surface level, um, I mean, I know I haven't talked to you guys in a really long time. I just feel that really was happy to see uh, how well Troy Terry and Trevor Zegers have looked this season. And even these recent games, just the confidence that hasn't drifted away from either one of those guys, that's super promising. I think that they both looked really good this whole week, obviously, putting up numbers and all, too. But uh, obviously, I don't want to sit here and just talk the negatives about this team because there is positives. I mean, Max Comtois has actually looked good the past few weeks, too, on the offensive side of the puck. So a couple of guys that have been able to put the, you know, the puck in the back of the net for us. Um I got to figure out my bet with Dave. But Toronto's really looked like he's been pretty doing pretty well too, and Dave keeps wanting to bet me on uh, but Toronto. He backed out of his original bet though. I know he's listening right now. He, uh, I did bet him that he would have to eat a live fish head if uh, Vitrano scored less than twenty five goals. He backed out of it like a big baby. I, he, I he don't backed know out, why of, you would do out that of yourself. the forfeit, or he backed out of the bet. Like the twenty five goals. The bet. He backed out of the bet. No, he still thinks the Vitrano's going to get twenty five. I don't think he's going to. And uh, so I, that was his his bet. If he loses, he would have to eat, have to get a live fish. Well, it's alive and eat the head off of it. What is he I fucking think... Aussie? <laughs> he's he's on pace for I think like twenty two goals right now. So it's it's right in that range. <laughs> he if he does that, he originally agreed to it. 
well, he was drinking at the Ducks game. Originally agreed to it, and then later he looked at me. He's like, I, I'm not doing. There's no way I can do that. I'm not doing that. There's no way I'm doing that. I'm not doing that bet. He's getting yeah, all worried. that's great. You don't need to do that. You don't have. You don't have anything to prove, man. It's okay. I, it's so no. funny. I. So what's, what's he on pace for? Twenty three. Uh, he's thirteen so, in, in four. So I think it's just around. Let me see. So what about with the forwards, Patty? Where are you at on them? How do you feel about Ooh. Strom and uh, Vitrano? Sorry, he's on pace for twenty. I think everyone. He's on pace for exactly twenty. He's on pace for twenty five. Fuck. So legend. No, I, I think the forwards are are. They look fine. Offensive side of the puck, they look fine. It's fine. It's not great. It's fine. I, I think they're really missing somebody at center. That's what I feel like. I feel like they have a lot of C-level uh, guys at oh, center. You say they're missing somebody at center, so why not play a guy who's looked, looked great there for three games at center, and then they shift him back to the <laughs> way. Why, why not play Mason McCann? Okay, do we want to talk about yeah, that? Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's probably the biggest topic of the week. I think that's such a... I, I understand why people were frustrated that he got moved back to wing for the Florida game. But let's also look at who he played at center and who he was playing. Chicago or San Jose, Vancouver, San Jose are not anywhere close to the level. Even if Vancouver is a very good roster, right? I still think that roster has legitimate talent on it. They haven't been playing well. Florida's really fucking good. And if you can move him to the wing, shore up another line at a forechecking threat, a physical threat, a uh, and not, not a physical threat in like the like the standard way, more of just like he gets in there, he bangs bodies, he's going to go to the front of the net, that kind of stuff. I just think it makes a lot of sense when you look at the relative talent levels. You guys talking about McTavish, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I didn't expect him to get any games in at center yet anyways. So for me, the fact that they threw him in there for a couple, I think is a great sign. And I just feel like, honestly, I feel like this fan base is getting incredibly impatient. And it's hard to fault them. When you We've been bad at, for five years. When you look at Zegers, when you look at Terry, it's hard not to want to be impatient, right? To see how those guys look and what they could be down the line and where they could take this team. But it's a process. It's a 23-man roster. There's 20 guys suited up every night. We've got four, maybe five. And, you know, we're still figuring the rest of it out. And I just feel when it has come to McTavish, there is this, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it's impatience or arrogance or what. But it just, everybody seems to think that, like, the idea that he might, you know, vacillate between the two of them is 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 awful. And I don't think it's awful. I think the best thing – like, look, let's be fucking honest. Steven Stamkos plays wing. Are we going to say Steven Stamkos is being done a disservice because he's not playing his natural center? No. He fucking plays the wing because they have other guys who can play center. You play him with guys where he can have an impact. I'm not – Saying McTavish is Stamkos, but what I am saying is let's not act like these positions are precious. I, I think there's three forwards. I, I I think it's how good and how much the numbers backed it up over three games. I understand in those games he played like six minutes, eight minutes, and eleven minutes. So it is tough to judge it off that the quality of competition he's playing against, playing probably against you know the opposing teams, bottom six as well, on bad teams. 
is not the same as if he was playing top six center minutes. So I get it. Um, I, I think it's a little disappointing that, you know, Glenn Godden comes in to play center over him or that you could have just lit, you know, I, for me, it, I'm not so much hung up on the center thing. I know that's the big conversation over the week for me. I think Mason McTavish arguably has been at least the Ducks fourth best forward. I think you could potentially put him in above Ryan Strom as the team's third best forward so far this season. For me, he deserves top six minutes. That's my big issue with it. Whether it's at center or wing, that's hard to say because Zegers is going to play down the middle, and right now Strom hasn't been moved down the middle from down the middle, and I don't know if he should be. I think Mason McTavish deserves consistent top six minutes at the very least. Whether it's at center or not, I think you're right. I think it's too early to get on that train yet and say, oh, my God, this guy needs to play at center. He's being, you know, her development's being hurt playing on the wing. I think we're way, 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 way too early for that. But if you're going to tell me right now, I know Maxim Comtois has been hot. I think he probably deserves to stay in the top six because of that. But do, do we not think Mason McTavish right now maybe deserves to play in top six over Frankie Vitrano? And before- I mean, he should. He's the fourth highest scoring forward on the team. Yeah. Uh, and and Vitrano's so- been great. Henrik's was good this week. He put up the first four goals of the season for him this week. He only had one assist before this week. So I just, I, I, I got to see, he needs top six minutes for me. That That's the thing. Because he's looked good in every game he's played. Well, I can't say that for everybody. You know, he I, has the highest, he has the highest uh, uh, face-off percentage. Yeah, him, him, him <laughs> and Henrik have the highest face-off percentage on the team. They play in the yeah, world. Yeah, 56%. <laughs> I, I, I think the minutes thing is more than fair. He has shown his inability to play. You know what I mean? He's earned the, like he's earned more minutes based on his level of play. I think that's perfectly fair. For me, I think the answer is moving Henrique down. I'm not interested in moving Vetrano down. I would rather have Henrique play with Lundestrom and Silverwood. Yeah, I'm fine with that. To me, that makes the most sense. And then you go McTavish, Strom, Terry, and, you know, Comtois, uh, Zegers, Vetrano. That to me makes the most sense. Like, I still think playing the three kids together and then Rico Strom and Reek or Rico Strom Patrono is interesting to me. Um, but based on the way they've played, like, I get why the team, like, the like, I get why Z and uh, Terry aren't playing with each other right now all the time. Um, you know, they're the two best play drivers on the team. Like, if they're out there at once, then you get, you know, 15 minutes maybe a night of active offense and then the rest of it you're like ah, i hope somebody figures it out like that that doesn't make sense to me i, I don't i'm not really a big all my eggs in one basket kind of guy i think there are absolutely ways to get mctavish more ice time get him more involved but i think some of the specifically regarding him at center stuff, I think it is being a little overblown. And I do think that it's it's just an impatience. And I like you said, bat we've been bad for fucking five years. Like I get it. I get where everyone's at. I just think we're a little cart in front of the horse right now. Like we're in we're very, very much in the Bedard uh was it is it McKay not Mikhaev, uh Minchikov? No, that's Pavel. No, it's Mishkov. Yeah. Okay. Was it and and right? Well, yeah. Like we're in that group. Like that's that's who we're in right now. Like that's the place that this team is at. And honestly, that's great. 
adding another high draft pick, another dynamic forward who can really mean something to this team for a long time is great. And it's just going to be a little ugly and it's going to hurt going through that process. And I just, from a game, from an in a single game, right, period to period perspective, I get the ups and downs. I go through it. Oh, my God, they look like they almost look like a hockey game. Oh, no, they're back and being back. But in the big picture stuff, I wish we would just be a little bit more patient with what we're demanding of these team, of this team, what we're demanding of these players, and and frankly, what we're demanding of Dallas Aikens. I think he's getting a lot of shit early on that's not necessarily fair. Um, yeah, that we get the last game when McTavish has moved to the wing for one game, he got a lot of shit for that, which. I, I can understand some people being upset, but like you said, like it could be strictly based on the fact that Florida's a better opponent, and they said, listen, we just want to move him to the wing for this game, even out the lineup a little bit. Let's wait another game or two. Let's see against the game. If he's back in the center in Minnesota, nobody's going to sit here and acknowledge the fact that they they jumped to conclusions in the Florida game. They're going to be like, oh, Dallas Aikens put him back at center and now uh, what he should have done against the Panthers. Nobody will sit back and be like, yeah, okay, maybe we jumped ahead of ourselves there and got a little bit heated. Like, There are strategic decisions, whether they're right or not, that are made on a game-by-game basis. And when you have this many guys who can play down the middle and play on the wing, he's going to bounce around a few times this year. Let's just mm-hmm. take, you know, take in the good fa- point here is that three of the four games this week he played center. That's great. Mm-hmm. They're giving him chances incredibly early. I think I said at the beginning of the year, I don't, I did not expect him to see any games at center at the very least before 2025 games in. We're not there yet, and he's already getting minutes at center. I think that's good. I just want to see progress, though, you guys. Like, this team is, but, but, but this team is in a position. This is what, they're, what everybody I think is realizing is this rebuild is not, a, a, not, a, not an overnighter like some of these teams have pulled off, where it's – Bad for a year or two. Bad. I don't know, man. I heard. I heard at the end of the last year that this was a playoff team this year. So, Ooh. who said that? More than a few people. Yeah, yeah, people who are literally. Yeah, they're the same people who told you there's fentanyl in kids' candy. Okay. They're yeah, so I think full that's. Shit. I, look, all I'll say is, is if there is fentanyl in kids' candy, they found it. Yeah, they had to because this. There, I just. This is a three to five year deal, and this is like year two. <laughs> this yeah, is... I think that's right. I think. <laughs> I think if you said next year they're pushing for a wild card spot, I can see mm-hmm. that. I want, yeah. Let me look at let me look. Stretch the ice, and they certainly don't have the the defensive guys to bring the pucks up to the forwards. The forwards that do all the work in this team. It's it's a it's been it's been a tough going. It's like I said, it's this is this is year two of. I'm, I honestly think it's a five year deal. You can't turn this team around. This team doesn't spend the kind of money that other teams spend to get winners here soon and fast. And plus, you can't just buy your way in anymore, right? Like, you, it's, it's so hard when good players come up like that. You ha- Everyone's in on them. It's not like it's like it used to be. Like, oh, you can't God, build a play. contender through the free agency. It's impossible. It's impossible. You have to build it through the draft. And, or, and then a couple of trades here and there, you might get lucky. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, sure. this, is, this is, I'm telling you, I'll, I'll write, you know, you guys can mark me on this. This is year two of a five-year, five-year build. And I think this is Dallas Aikens last year. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that's without. Yeah, I think that's the real debate with the Dallas Aikens thing is: do do they just 
end the season with him and let him go because it's the end of his contract. Or Might either. as well. What's the point of firing? No, that that's what I've been saying. But I, I know there are some people that believe if it continues to get worse. Change. What are you looking for here? So, okay. Yeah, that's the question, right? Is what is the upside? And I guess if 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 you want to say where the stakes are incredibly low because they're clearly already out of it, we want to see how they play with a different voice. I'm interested in that. I Look think at that's the, I mean, it's it's hard looking at this personnel and thinking it's Dallas's fault entirely, right? I, buddy, I the fact that somebody else said that out loud, I I couldn't be happier with. There's no one thing you can pick from this team and say it's specifically this person's or or this is at fault for why they're so bad. It's a it's a myriad of of reasons of why they're not a good team, and each of the players and Dallas Aikens and the coaching staff and they they all have a, a, a part to play in it. Yeah, I don't think it's any. It's not any one player's fault for sure. I, I can't imagine that being the case. But um, there's no reason this power play should be this bad. There's no reason the penalty kill should be this bad. There's only so many ways to play those positions in those times. And there's enough. There's enough video footage around the league for you to see how the successful teams do it. It comes down to personnel at that point. Yeah, I, I think the problem with this team is we we knew going in that they were going to be an all gas no breaks team, and that defensively there were going to be a lot of issues i don't know if we thought they were going to be right now as of right now the worst defensive team in the league allowing what is it 4.62 goals against per game and have the second worst penalty kill that'd be bad but maybe not that bad the problem is there hasn't been that much gas either <laughs> like they they have the second worst power play and offensively they're the 21st uh they're ranked 21st offensively so they're a little bit lower than middle of the pack so when you're an all-gas, no-breaks team, you can do that if maybe you're bottom half defensively, but you're a top 10 offensive team. Well, the Ducks aren't that. Beyond Zegris, Terry, and I guess Strom so far this year, nobody really has taken the reins offensively. McTavish has been good, but you can't ask that from a rookie. Klingberg has been good enough, you know, seven points in 13 games. But it really has been Zegers and Terry. And then I'll give Strom the credit because 10 points in 13 games, I think, is is a little bit more than maybe what you'd expect. Yeah, it's pretty good. And it's coming burst for Strom. He had that great start where he had three points and then not much for a few games. Yeah, and that's what you would hope for from, from a guy like that, right, is that he's going to be able to put that up. Uh, hold on, i got to going to give Steven a call here and get him back in. But that's, yeah, that, that's all you can hope for from a guy like Ryan Strom. When you bring him in to replace a guy like Ryan Getzlaff and to be an offensive catalyst and an offensive boost for this team is to come in and do what he's done. The problem is other guys haven't stepped up. We talked about Max Jones. What can you get from him this year? Well, it's been two points in 13 games so far. Up until this week, no, and, and he's been playing on the fourth line, so it, it, it is what it is. But Maxim Comtois before this week had one goal in a handful of games. And Adam Henrique had no goals until this week. So it's starting to come from other guys, but up until if you go erase the last four games, it was Zegers and Terry, and that was it. And that's what it's that's – what it, I mean, that's not surprising because – you want those guys to be good, and at least we've erased the worries so far that Zegris was going to have a sophomore slump or Troy Terry wasn't going to be you know, a 30-goal, a 70-point guy. 
they've erased that to some extent, but it's the rest of the help that hasn't come. Lisa's frozen face is there. Oh, no, he's here. He's made it, I think. Well, good. So, I'm back. Because what I wanted to touch on, we, we've gone through up and down this lineup, talked about every position on this team. We all could agree that there's room for improvement everywhere. Um, talked about some upside stuff. Now, what I do want to ask you guys, and I'm sure everybody who knows me who listens to the show was probably expecting this conversation the second I got back on, uh, hence the background of my screen, that you guys can see. This team, I'm not going to come at you guys like it'd be as a, what's his face in our in our fantasy leagues, a donkey league. I'm not going to be that guy. But, but really, this team is extremely soft. And regardless if you like fighting or physicality or you, you don't like the hits or you think that it's whatever you think it is, whatever position you take on that. The fact of the matter is other teams do it to us every single night. And it's pretty pathetic when you see guys who shouldn't be in position, who are skilled have to stand up for guys. Um, and it's just, I think it's a, I think it's a serious problem on this team. I think it really is. And guys who, I mean, what are you supposed to do? You're going to go fight somebody. I mean, come on. Montour comes down on Terry and Z has to get in his face. Like really? <laughs> Montour is not even a scary guy, but he could scrap. And we're going to let our best players go and get go and get antagonized and, and pushed around like that. And it happens to Gibson. Gibson gets pushed around and shoved and bumped, and Gibby flips out and has to hit somebody. And I think that does a, that does also does something to this team's um, situation in the locker room. That has a huge effect in there too. No one's standing up for each other. But this team is not full of guys who do that. I, so I want to push back a little bit. I I don't think that this is a team that isn't standing up for each other. I think we've seen guys get involved. I think we've seen guys go after other guys. I think the problem is... Let's go for it. Like, we've seen guys try to get engaged. We've seen Benoit a little bit. We've seen Beaulieu. He's gotten, what, two fights in, like, the last week? Um... You know, which which is not to say that like you know that turns him he's the second coming of fucking Stu Grimson or any shit like that. It's more of just there are guys who are to a degree willing to engage in some of that stuff. I think a bit more of the issue is there's nobody on the team you want doing that, and I don't think it's hard for me, right? Because, like, the soft thing is, like, I don't think that's unfair, but I also am at the same time, I'm like, yeah, these guys are getting their asses kicked on a nicely basis, and, like, it does take a level of toughness to, like, go through that shit. But there's nobody out there who's going to make somebody pay a price. And I think that's the part of it that's frustrating for me, is I, I do feel like some of our guys are getting taken advantage of. Montour's 5'10". Like, it's a little bit easier. And, like, I don't think Zegers is, like, back down from anybody or anything like that. But I, I think, you know, I think it was his rookie year. Taylor Hall got in a fight and broke his hand. And I think it was Andrew Ferentz at the point at that point who was the captain. And he was like, yeah, we love that he did that, but we also need him to not do that. Like, there's other guys on this team that can do that. To your point, Patty, those guys aren't here. And, and you know, I... But it would be nice to have a Josh Manson. I would settle for Sheldon Brookbank right now. <laughs> Just, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I agree that I would like someone to be there to be more physical 
and to make guys have to think twice before coming at some of the skill guys. But I also don't know that it's necessarily fair to denigrate the guys that we do have who have shown a willingness to at least, I don't know, fucking make you have to think a little bit about it, right? Like, I just think that's some of what the issue is, is this team is stuck in a weird spot as far as where the roster's at, who is and isn't on the roster. And, like, I like that Comtois is willing to throw, but I don't necessarily want him doing that every game. No, and, and like I was saying, even if you take the fighting out, take all the fighting out, right? you don't see anyone being nasty to anybody else. And regardless of how you feel about any of this, you can hate fighting and think it's all bullshit. For one minute, if you don't think a team that comes into Anaheim and knows this team is soft, because if we see it, you don't think they all see it, and they know that this team has stars that are literally trying to protect themselves because they get bullied, that they're not going to target these guys and go after these guys and, sh- and take shots at these guys to get them to retaliate and take them off the ice. There's plenty of plenty of ways to go about going after after guys without trying to start fights. Having guys on the team with attitudes, not saying we liked Kevin BX all that much. I know we, we, we talked a lot of shit about him when he was here about because you know, he was at the end of his career, didn't play well. But mm-hmm. that kind of attitude in the locker room or that kind of mm-hmm. attitude on the ice where you know you don't want to go and have to deal with him. Like, God, really don't want to take, like, six cross-checks from Kevin BX and have him, oh, mm-hmm. then punch me in the face? Like, I don't want to deal with that guy. But those kinds of things, like, you don't have to have that attitude or that level, but you need something, like you're saying. And I think this team is sorely, sorely missing it. And, like, Josh Mance would be wonderful in this team for that. He literally went to this, the Cup champions for that reason. They wanted somebody to, that was able to stand up and play this position. Cool, he's a 4-5 t- he's a, he's a defender. Great. But what was he going to do? He's going to prevent people from running over other guys and like having to stand up for themselves. He's going to go do it. That stuff still matters in the game. Until it doesn't, we need that here. We heard Nick Foligno the other day after uh, – who was it? Somebody got in a fight after uh, Schneider took out Frederick. Oh, yeah. Um, and Felino was like, yeah, we fucking love it because he shows that this team – there is an ethos of us sticking up for each other. Like, this is about, you're not going to do that to our guys. Honest to God, at this point, I'd love to just trade for Nick Foligno. I'm sure they'd move him. I'm not even fucking around. Are you like, sure? Are you sure they wouldn't move him? I think Boston will. would trade him. Like, I would really like to go at him. Like, he'd they'd be love an interesting that kind of guy, though. And, and, yeah. But, and I think that's the thing, right? I, I think... This conversation at times gets dragged to the extremes because most of these conversations happen online and online everything is extreme. Not that I've ever participated in anything like that, obviously. I'm an incredibly uh, soft-spoken, well-tempered individual, and I don't ever say You never have opinions, it's true. Yeah, no, I'm just a really easygoing guy. But I, I, I do think that there is a middle ground where it, it it matters to have those guys. It matters just from a camaraderie perspective to know, like, if you look around the room and you see 20 guys and you're like, yeah, no matter what, we got each other. That just helps. Like, that just means something. And and I don't think that can be dismissed. Eddie. I'm all, yeah, where you at, Ed? Say something. Yeah, so I, I don't think – you're wrong. I think it's it's it helps to have a guy like that for all the reasons you said. Whether it's just a you know a locker room thing or being able to kind of skate around and know there's a guy who's got your back. 
My thing has always been, as, as it was with Nick DeLaurier, this guy also needs to be able to play hockey at the same time and, and have a positive impact on ice. Um, that's my issue with it. I think you can find those guys. I think, obviously, Josh Manson was one of those guys. So it's fine if you can have a guy like that around. Nick DeLaurier, the problem I had was... Hold on, him. hold on, hold on. Nine in and nine out, you buried that guy the last two years. Yeah, Josh Manson. In his play. Yeah, yeah I, I you buried did. him. No, I did. But he was still an NHL defenseman. He's still sure. The, so the Ducks were. Hey, how much you? of this? How much of this do you think can be addressed simply by Carrot coming back in the lineup? And I'm not trying to set you up. I'm, I'm genuinely asking because you, I think, me and you at the end of last season both pointed to him as a guy who could help address those kinds of things while still being able to actually play hockey at five. Yes, yeah, so th- this goes with the point I was about to get to. Is we get we have a disconnect here on who's allowed to be a fighter based off old stereotypes that it has to be a certain guy. Why is Maxim Comtois not allowed to be a fighter? When have we deemed him not able to be a guy who's able to stick up? I left off with why why can't Maxim Comtois be that guy? Why can't Sam Carrick be that guy who sticks up for this team? I I don't understand that argument to things where he doesn't look and doesn't act and isn't a, a Nick DeLaurier, so he can't be that guy. Maxim Comtois isn't, at this point, a perennial 20-goal scorer. He could only be a guy who contributes every now and then offensively, and he's a big, tough kid. Why can't he be the guy that sticks up for guys? Why can't Sam Carrick be a guy that sticks up for his team? But we've had this conversation before where... Yeah, valid why can't these guys be those guys but i think the point for why they can't is they haven't yeah they're just not those guys and 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 at a certain point there is a want to factor and we have seen max contra get physical we've seen him get in fights we've seen him throw the body around we've seen it i have noticed him this year really loading up on some of these hits in the neutral zone on the forecheck things like that but if he wants to be that guy, he has to make that choice for himself. You know what I mean? I don't have a problem with it per se because I think we're getting closer and closer to him getting crowded out of the top six, which isn't necessarily an indictment of him, but more of a testament to the other players that we have brought into the organization. Also, he just hasn't been good. <laughs> he's not been. I think he's, he's, looked, not, he's not been a scorer. He's looked good the last five or six yeah. games. This, this I think last he's week, really he was solid. Good. This last week, he's been good. running around a little bit and buzzing. But I, I, I think that that's that's the way I would say it is. There's a want to aspect that I don't know how many guys on this team have, and I'm not judging them for that. I don't care. There is something lost in the aggregate. When you don't have any of those guys, yeah, no, I I can understand. I, I think the the argument I've had a problem with is that you when people say you need a tough side to this team, is it, it means you need a Nick Deloria back. I don't think you need a Nick Deloria. I think you can get guys who can do that, who also contribute positively while they're on the ice, other than just fighting people. So that's mm-hmm. that's been my my major concern is is the argument is, is always kind of tipped towards that because we had this argument, um, I don't know if it was Pat or with with Jay last year about Sam Carrick specifically when he was starting mm-hmm. to fight more. Was oh well he can't be that guy, 
Because he's not yeah. Nick Deloria. He can't be that guy. He's a smaller guy. How's he going to be able to stand up for guys? Nobody's going to be scared of, of repercussions from Sam Carrick because he's not your typical enforcer. He's not six foot three. He doesn't throw bombs. He's not going to scare you, so you can't have that guy. That's my, con- my, my concern with it is because there's not many guys across the league who have that kind of ethos about them where they're scary and they're tough and you don't want to mess with the Zegras because this guy's going to come get you, who also then have a positive impact on the team itself. Like, you just don't, you don't get that. Did you, did you jump back into the call from the the runway at LAX? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I did. So much background noise. And to your point, I do think that's a little bit of a prisoner of the moment thing at the end of last year, uh, especially because of the Beagle stuff and all that, that it, it's just like Sam Carrick can't be a guy when, when again, I think that's a prisoner of the moment thing. Um, and I, I do think him coming back could be a big a big help to that. So this is a shit show. Eddie's going to have a heart attack right now. The look on your face is so funny. Ed. <laughs> oh, my well, goodness. Where do you guys want to go next with it? And we're, we went, we've talked about everything. I think the like the biggest things that uh, we haven't covered yet are the retro jerseys. Mm. I initially hated them at Shocking. first. At first, wasn't a Shocking. fan. You would hate something fun. No, come on. And then I do like them. And then I actually was very surprised how well they looked or how good they looked with the orange pants, which I didn't think was going to look good at all. Because I don't know, I figured it would be too much orange, but not bad. I didn't, I didn't mind them at all. I know Eddie wanted like eggplant or something like that colors on the on, on the jersey or something like that. But uh, no, it's I I like them. I had a few things that before I saw the full kit where I wasn't a huge fan of, but once you see it all together, I think it's nice. I I wasn't a fan of how it could potentially look with the orange at the bottom of the jersey going into the orange pants. I think it looked fine. The no shoulder patches was tough to kind of get used to, but honestly, just not having any recognition of the old logo or the normal logo on the jersey is good enough for me. I I would love to see a world where that logo comes back and you have the, those reverse retros as the aways and some variation of, of that as an orange home, not the orange that we're used to, just a similar layout to the jersey as, as a home jersey for orange and then maybe a black as a third or something like that. Um, I'd be down for that. I mean, listen, just the logo itself coming back. I think everybody wants that. Whether you're a Ducks We want that not. to be the permanent logo, though. We don't want it to be the reverse retro third jersey. No, no, like, yeah. Just make it, make it the, it's the best logo in hockey, but just, just put it on your damn jersey. I feel like they've got to be, at some point, working towards bringing that back, right? Like, it's literally every third or alternate jersey the Ducks do at this point, it's that logo. Yeah, the franchise is three days old. They don't have, you know, 55 jerseys to tap back into. No, I I know. (laughs) And for the reverse retros, you have to. But, like, for the third jerseys, they come up sometimes with alternate logos. Or Mm -hmm. I just... I don't know. Why would... If somebody in the chat asks, why would they bring it back? Because literally every person thinks it's a better logo and jersey than the current ones? So I, I think a point to make in this 
is the Bob Murray part of this, which is that he just wasn't, he didn't give a shit about that stuff. And he was fucking in charge of everything. And I, I think it is, it is fair to say that that is one of the ways in which his fingerprints are all over the franchises and the lack of imagination in some of these third jerseys and some of these concepts. It will be interesting to see if moving forward, like you were saying, Eddie, they do try to develop new logos uh, or, or, or alternative logos or, or see if they can do something. I, I've heard it from a lot of people, and I'm, I'm on the train with them. I would love for the eggplant jerseys to come back. That, that the, the Anaheim Word script, that's a gorgeous jersey. Ooh, I, no I would have no... Oh, my God. See, I've heard a bunch of people like that. The ones that have it says says, uh, going diagonal? No, 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 no. Mm. The cursive ones. The Fedorov ones. Mm. That's always what I've heard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, those ones I like a lot. I think those are nice jerseys. They were an old third. They have the the hockey string or the the ties Mm -hmm. up here, right? Yeah, I like those, too. Yeah. Those jerseys always reminds me of Ruslan Soleil. Yeah. I love you, Rusty. I miss you. I think I think of the reverse retros and Stephen. I think we kind of I think we touched on this on on, a, on an episode already, or maybe this was in our in our group chat of how there were a lot of for me misses this year. But and and I wasn't a huge fan of the, this one when it came out. Just the jersey and, and the video they really shouldn't really get a good look at it. Now that I've seen it as the full kit, I think it's one of the best ones that's out there like it just looked sharp and especially the like the photos that the ducks put out on instagram and twitter of it, and then you watch it on the ice like it's one of the sharper full setups i think we've had in the last couple of years hmm. i think i would rank that probably the the new reverse retro is probably the best probably the best one they've put out easily you don't uh, think so like the, the ducks one versus the rest for this year versus the rest of the teams yeah, I think it's the best one they've put out. I can see it. I I, I really like Vancouver's that they put out. I, I think it's really nice. It, uh, the color scheme that they have with the mm. logo. That one's up there. I haven't seen some of the other top ones been used yet, but it's got to be top five, and it p- potentially could go up there. Like it's just different, right? Like it's a different the Sabers one's always cool with the head on the front of that. That one's cool. The Washington one's really cool. Yeah. Um. I like the Phoenix one, the Arizona one, but people didn't like it. I liked it. Yeah, it was a play on the on the, the Kachina one, but with like ASU colors, right? Something like that. Yeah. All right. All right, we lost Steven again, so I figured we probably just wrap, the, wrap this up. <laughs> we probably should wrap up. It's been a really <laughs> yeah. rough go for me. It's, we'll say it's my fault. It's my first show back in a year, and this is... Uh, this has not been a good showing for us. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll get the internet fixed for the next one. Anybody who stuck with us live, appreciate it. This will all get edited and post anyway, and hopefully come together as one uh, full episode. But thanks for everybody for listening. Uh, next game is Wednesday against the Minnesota Wild, and then we have a game on Sunday against the Chicago Blackhawks. So Pat, we might as well do this one since Stephen is disconnected here. So our Ducks game day predictions presented by 714 Tickets. What do you have for Wednesday the 9th against Minnesota and Sunday the 12th against Chicago? Both are home games. Ooh, well, they're definitely going to be beating Chicago. I can't see this team losing to Chicago. 
I mean, just because I hate Chicago. So yeah, uh, Minnesota is going to be a tough game. I think Minnesota always plays us really hard too. That's going to be an interesting one. And I think that I think Minnesota Chicago are actually neck and neck with how they're doing this season. Yeah, not great. Um, yeah, they're both not doing great, but I think they're both. I mean, they they both have. I just looked it up right now. They just came up. They both have five wins, so a lot more than we do. <laughs> true, true. No, honestly, I think I think we pull out a victory against Chicago on Sunday, but I, I I just don't see us beating Minnesota. Minnesota's been good on the road this year too, and they always play hard against us. I think if I had to put money on it, I, I don't see them beating Minnesota on Wednesday. Yeah, I think for the Minnesota game, uh, their power play is six best in the league. It comes down to special teams in that one. The Ducks always against the teams that seemingly have the top power plays. They can never stay out of the box. I think that's yeah. I, I I think that's what it's going to come down to in that game. Ultimately, they're going to lose. Just uh, Minnesota's going to pump two or three power play goals in the back of the net, and it, it's just going to get out of reach at that point. I think it'll be close, but uh, I give the edge of it to Minnesota. But yeah, that game that game on Saturday, that's that's got to be a Ducks win. I, I know Chicago has been okay, and really they have they had a four game stretch where they won four in a row, and then since then they haven't been that great. So I, I just have to imagine that uh, the they're one three and one on the road. Chicago, Minnesota's yeah. three one and one. Yeah. So and you have to imagine that as, as it is with most teams, Chicago probably plays a back to back somewhere there, whether it's the Kings the next night or before or the Sharks or something at that point. So or and three games in four nights is usually kind of the normal, right? To, when you come to California, so that yeah, that's, that's the killer be, too. So yeah, it's gonna be a yeah. Tough one. Yeah, it's going to be a tough one. It's going to be a hard one on Wednesday for sure, and that's a big team too. So Yeah, the question for Saturday, since we both have the Ducks winning, is it the first regulation win of the season, or is it another I'm going to say it is. I hate Chicago so much. I hope the Ducks yeah. blow them out, which I'm we not need one. confident in, but we need one of those games. Yeah, we, have, well, we haven't had a – all our, the wins have been one-goal wins because they've been in overtime or a shootout. We need – we need a blowout win to feel happy, especially after what's probably going to be a tough. Uh, yeah, why not tune up Chicago? Yeah, please, please. <laughs> Can't wait for that one. All right, well, we're going to wrap this before any more issues happen. Uh, thanks for listening, guys. Big game on Wednesday, followed by a final game on Saturday against the Blackhawks. If you want to help us going throughout the season, you can find us on Apple Podcasts. Search Forever Mighty. Leave us a rating and a review. We'll read it on the show. We really appreciate them. Um, always love just seeing the positive ones come in. Um, and whenever we can get to them, we like to kind of read them on the show, and uh, whether they're good or bad. Well, so that doesn't mean leave us a bad review. I haven't left. I haven't had to read a bad review ever. So let's let's keep it that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just just on the YouTube comments when Stephen says Zagris and and Dreesdale and, and Dries, Jesus Christ, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that that always gets it. Uh, we're also on Spotify. You can leave us a rating on Spotify too. So make sure to do that if you haven't already, and you're listening on there instead of Apple Podcasts. All video versions of this show exist on YouTube, which is unfortunate for this episode specifically with how the video went. Uh, you can go to youtube.com slash Podcast. Make sure to subscribe. We also put out some morning shows on there called Ducks Morning Brew. That's taken a bit of a hiatus, but hoping to get that back up soon if we can. Uh, check out our website at forevermighty.com to find everything in one place. You can find out where to watch, where to listen to the show, how to support the show, and where to find us on social media. At Twitter, it's at Forever Mighty FM. I'm at Eddie Van Jones. Steven is at The Hockey Boomer. And Pat, you're at P. Mahones, right? Yep. Perfect. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. Escape here before it cuts out one more time. Thanks to everybody who joined the stream and had to struggle through that with us. 
And we will see you guys next week. Take care, guys. Later, guys.